1: Today, we are continuing to walk through the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And today, we are taking a look at episode number four. Let's get into it. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my lovely wife, Nikki. And today, we are. Yep, trying to take a closer look at episode number four from the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And if you are just joining us for the first time, we did these a little bit out of order. So we kind of started with a early mid-season review kind of thing, looking at episode five and then sort of the whole podcast up to that point. And then we went back and did one, two, and three, four today, and then six Through 12 will be coming hopefully in order from here on out so Mm -hmm. a little bit out of order but you should be able to find all those podcasts if you're interested and we're going to try to continue on in the same theme here where we're not giving away a bunch of spoilers on the episode we're just sort of talking about some of the highlights that we saw in the episode and then trying to give you our perspective the Mm -hmm. way that we sort of listen to these episodes, because I think a lot of times it differs from the way it's presented. So we just want to give you two different, you know, opposing, not necessarily opposing views, but different Mm -hmm. views on the ideas that are presented. So before we dive in, honey, is there anything you would like to say?
0: I just want everybody to know we're not approaching this as if we're in agreement with the way the light that they're shining on Mark um, like he said, the different views. And so we look at Mark as a brother in Christ. We all have our, our faults and God uses us in spite of them. So we do pray for Mark and his family if these accusations are true. Um, and we don't know if he's repented. So if you've listened to the to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Um, just keep that in mind. Um, don't look at as an enemy and pray for him. And I think whenever we hear something about another brother or sister in Christ, um, we should always have the mindset of praying for them to be reconciled if they're not. And we just look inward at our, our own heart. So just want you guys to know that we, we pray for him and his family, and we're not picking and choosing sides on this.
1: Nope, definitely not. And that's important to note, because a lot of times it sounds like we're, you know, apologists for Mark Driscoll, and we don't want to come off that way, necessarily. We just don't always agree that the way he sort of painted by Christianity today is the right way, or that like all the blame sort of shifted onto him. So we are in agreement that he's probably right in resigning and stepping away from the past Pastoral ship of that church. And I'm assuming as these episodes unfold, we're going to start to see more of that because to this point, episode four, we've not really seen a lot of it. Episode four is probably going to show us a little bit more about that. And we'll dig into that here in a minute. But it's just important to note we do pray for him, we do advocate for him a lot, but it's not because we think he somehow is alleviated of the guilt that they're associating to him. So just want to make that point. So also, Like, subscribe, follow, share us with a friend, jump on our Discord. We'd love to praise with you guys, pray for you, all those sorts of things, and that's what the Discord channel is for. All right, so to episode four, and this might have been my favorite episode so far that we've listened to, and Mm -hmm. listening to this episode, it was almost, I felt sad listening to this episode, and it was almost like... I feel like I've lost something that I never really had. Like looking back on it now and hearing about what this Mars Hill church was like in its early days and the message that was preached and all this sorts of thing. And I feel sad now, like somehow it's been taken from me.
0: You could have experienced that. And
1: yeah, like even though it's already, it's been closed for six years or whatever, seven years at this point now, but I'm listening to this and I'm feeling like a sadness of like, Man, I wanted, like, I wish I could experience that today and Mm -hmm. a sadness for that message that was being preached then. And yeah, it, it it all, this one specifically almost just made me feel a sense of sadness for the fall of it. So it was, Mm -hmm. it was a really good episode. And, uh, the first, I don't know if it makes you, (laughs) if you want to jump in, I don't know if it makes you feel sad about the fall of this church.
0: Well, I do feel. Sags, I think just listening to it, I know you would have really benefited. I mean, as many young men, young married men could have gained a lot of wisdom and practical, um, just practical advice, like simple things that we are not taught early on. Like a lot of them were things that should be brought up in marriage counseling, but we never even did. You know, pre-marital counseling is what I mean. Things that should have been brought up even before you're married, like he's addressing. And I'm like, man, that would have been awesome if we would have, you know. And That's why I feel sad. Like,
1: Obviously, we've been to church our whole lives, gone to a lot of different churches. And they've all been good churches, you know, for the most part. We didn't stick around at a bad church. But I don't think any of them were delivering messages like this. Mm -hmm. And... That's what I think I long for, and yeah, it's, it's just sad to Mark see it. Mark knew fall the culture.
0: Away. I think, I think a lot of pastors are, I don't know, just ignorant of how deep in sin our culture really is, and I just the gospel is addressing sin, but nobody wants to address it in the ways the culture is delved into particular sins. He addressed the today sins.
1: And I think that's something that this episode focuses a lot on. So, this one, you start so- sort of seeing what the vision for Mars Hill was going to be. And this vision that they had was for a church of godly men leading godly families. And Mark was very heavy into a godly masculinity. Mm-hmm. So, the episode kind of the first major point and theme that's brought up in this episode is. This idea of a men's conference that Mark calls early on in the church. And it gets sort of relayed to a lot of the members. And this is talking about the late nineties, early two thousands, where chat boards and stuff were a big thing. And there's a chat board, I guess, that the Mars Hill membership was followed. Was it just
0: for men? Was it a chat I just think for so. men? It was just I bet for it men. was. Yeah.
1: But there's a lot of stuff, you know, conversation being passed and for or passed back and forth on this thread, and then there's this one character um, whose uh, username essentially is William Wallace second, and he's really over the top, you know type of things that he's saying, but they're all kind of like laying this groundwork, hey this this men's conference is coming, all the men need to be there, and they They go into the men's conference. And they talk about how it was, it basically wound up just being a two hour session of Mark Driscoll just yelling at the men in that room about all of their shortcomings and their failings. And about, you know, he talks specifically in the episode about their addiction to porn Mm -hmm. and their sleeping with these young ladies and their failure to take care of their family. And he's basically just losing his temper, basically yelling at these guys.
0: I like that he called everybody and the way they portray Mark. I mean, he could have just called people's names out in the service and embarrassed everybody because that's the kind of character they paint of him. Like, hey, he could have done that, but at least he did it collectively and didn't call out any names because I'm sure he knew certain names or he wouldn't be bringing it up. I'm sure
1: he had heard about it. And the William Wallace character that was like over the top on these chat boards wound up being Mark Driscoll. Um, And they go into saying... That, you know, on these chat boards he said some very crude um, crude, you know, things. And we want to make the point that like that's not a very pastoral thing to do. So again, okay. this is where you kind of see them shedding some of that light on sort of the character of Mark Driscoll that might have led to him resigning and being removed from the pastorship of that church. And we're in favor of that. We agree that as a pastor you shouldn't be on chat boards. You shouldn't be saying, you know, these outlandish or offensive type and hiding
0: behind a fake name. Like that doesn't mean you can get away with it because of your chat name. And they didn't know it was him. No. And that's the idea of
1: integrity, right? Like you're going to do what's right. Even if people don't know that you're doing it, that sort of thing. So definitely that was a knock on Mark Driscoll there. But the message of the conference, I, Again, I think in this episode, and this is a running theme in Christianity today, is it gets presented. And a lot of the interviewers that come on, they talk about how these groups that Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill would lead, they were like, um, they analogize to Fight Club in this episode specifically about how these were theological fight clubs. And these men would just show up to their like small groups or whatever. And they would just be like, you know, they would talk about, A baseball bat to the knee, and they would just be basically, it was a fight club mentality. I mean, that's a perfect way to analogize it. So it wasn't like this loving pastoral care. It was like a very confrontational look at people's sin and how to address it. And as I've said before, I'm a huge fan. You know, they make a point in this conference where Mark Driscoll says specifically, you can't take hell with your pants around your ankles a bottle, bottle of lotion in one hand and a Kleenex in the other kind of talking about these men in this church and their Mm -hmm. porn addiction. And I thought, man, is that ever true? And Mm -hmm. what was so great about it is it seemed most of the people say that it was a very life-changing conference and it really sparked the identity of what Mars Hill was going to be. It sort of set the tone for this church going forward.
0: Yeah. And that's like where it needs to start because if it's you're addressing these sins that people hide. It's like and of course, it, it's gotta be crude. You can't talk about certain sins without they're crude. Okay. So you can't yeah. attack him for being crude because hey, you're the one doing it if you're offended. I mean, some of the people that came on this Mar the Fall of Mars Hill podcast were saying how it was offensive, but it offended you because it applied to you. So. Yeah,
1: most of the time when people get upset or get offended by something is because normally it's true and you just don't like being called out about it. Yeah. And what's funny is all these presenters and the way that they talk about this conference in this early Mars Hill sort of culture, it's like the most 2021 mentality, I think, that I've heard in a long time. And because what they all basically come on and say, men and women alike, is they say things like, You know, the message that Mark preached back then was life-changing. All of them Mm -hmm. had their life changed by this message, and it sort of set the culture of this church, and they all bought in. It was a family and all this sort of thing. But then they all couch it on this interview, which has been done in the last year or two, by saying, oh, well, you know, looking back on it now, I can see how ridiculous or how chauvinistic Mm -hmm. it was. But they didn't see that then. And I think that's the most 2021 Mm -hmm. thought process where, like, hey, all the stuff that I was completely okay with and I was good with and helped me through a lot of tough times in my life become the man I am today, well, I can understand that people are offended by that now, so I'm going to tell you that it was wrong.
0: And they're changing the terms. And I know that the host of Christianity Today uh, is in agreement with these people looking back and and just changing their view of it all, all though what they were taught was truth, Um, you know, he'll use terms now, well, the host, you know, homophobic. And we were just talking about how if a Christian uses the term homophobic, it's kind of saying that you don't, like when you, you I have to start explaining it.
2: Well, it's you, kind of like. You're
0: not using, you're not afraid of it. Like the term isn't even explaining what you mean. It's like.
1: Yeah. Somehow, you're like anti- if you're preaching sin. against the sin of homosexuality, you're somehow homophobic. Yeah. Or you're scared of it <laughs> or hate it. When that could not be the case at all. And again, if there's specific instances where, and I think they kind of go into this and I'll allude to it that Mark was kind of crass about it and he would make jokes and,
0: but you don't label him as homophobic. And now these people, looking back, they see him that way now.
1: Yeah, when they were all completely okay with it back then. Right. And I think— So,
0: I don't know. I was just going to go along and say with that Christianity Today, with the way the host is talking and being in agreement with all these people, you know, changing their mind. Like, the name Christianity Today is very fitting for the show because I think it very much speaks of the lukewarm Christianity today. I don't think they represent true Christianity. So,
1: no, we, and I, she mentioned that before. And I was like, wow, that's, yeah, it's a perfect name for their website. And because they are, you know, I f- feel like we've talked about this early on. They're kind of more in that progressive leaning Christianity. They're always given a platform to like the critical race theory yeah. idea. And then here they are, yeah, like, oh, you're talking about, you know, homosexuals and that you're homophobic. And so I just think, you know, take it with a grain of salt and, mm-hmm. Um, they go on and they, all the interviewers or all the interviewees, I guess they talk about things like at the time when they were there and on these chat boards and things, all this like bombast or over the top rhetoric, um, they saw it as just hyperbole. Like they kind of understood it at the time as just a way to shake people and get their attention so that they could get this underlying message, which was a very biblically sound Mm-hmm. message and a very important message and i sort of agree with that from where i'm sitting listening to this podcast i'm like man it sounds yeah sure it's it's crude and it's crass and it's a fight club mentality and yeah. but if you got the point of what he was trying to get across cuz even they have a lady come on there and she messaged one specific sermon that he gives at a christmas time and it's uh ho 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 merry christmas but it's h o e h o e h o e like a female ho, not oh. ho, ho ho, like Merry Christmas. And she's like, oh, that's such a crass and crude title. But then she talks about like the message he delivered about how there's these three basically, you know, whores in yeah. jesus's lineage. Yep. And how he ties that together like biblically she's like, it was such a good like message and theologically good message that the title grabbed your attention, but then the message was actually really life giving. Mm-hmm. Um
0: So it was crude, but it was true. There's a lot of crudeness written in the Bible. So you can say, I ain't going to read the Bible anymore because there's a lot of crude things going on in it.
1: Yeah, and I think we just do this a lot as people. You know, we did this and we made the analogy or John MacArthur did kind of attaching Mark Driscoll and Donald Trump. And I thought it's such a fitting analogy because we did this with Trump a lot, right? We cry out for something different. We hate the way politicians in Washington behave and act. We cry out for something different, like an outsider. And then President Trump comes in and we're like, oh man, he's not presidential enough. Like we hate him for not being a presidential enough, you know? And then, you know, the same thing with like a Mark Driscoll, you know, we want a, a pastor that's going to preach this godly masculinity that he's going to reach these people. He talks about Mars Hill was there to sort of reach this punk rock spirit in the inner city of Seattle. And then when he actually comes out and, does it? You're like, oh, he's a chauvinist, you know? Right. Like, well, who do you think is gonna reach? There's a no punk perfect. rocker in Seattle. Like, do you think you're gonna send? I don't know, like your aunt Barbara and her <laughs> blueberry cobbler. It's not gonna work. And Mark seemed to understand very well the crowd.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like you had mentioned before, I'm not sure how well. A lot of pastors, obviously, not gonna deride a lot of pastors, but. I don't know that they necessarily have a specific market that they're going to reach. Mm-hmm. I mean, we kind of talked a little bit about how Rick Warren and these Bill Hybels kind of did market research to figure out where to plant a church
2: mm-hmm.
1: and like the seeker sensitive. But I think Mark did it from a different angle where like he was that punk rocker. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the, I, he that could was reach he them. Was, he so could he, relate. Yeah. He didn't do this as like a fake, Let's grow a church. He did this as like, this is who I am, and this is the church I need. And this is the message that would reach me. Because he even talks about mm-hmm. how he went to a conference in this episode and or a couple of church services. And he goes and he's like, ah, the decor is all like fuchsia and baby blue, mm-hmm. and they're singing love songs on stage. These kind and, of
0: people wouldn't go. Yeah, he's like they're not gonna
1: He's not going to that. So he creates a church and preaches in a way that would reach him. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's crass and it can be crude and maybe it takes it a bit too far. But then when you get down to the meat of what yeah. he's preaching and you're like, that is a gospel that would actually change people's life. So
0: he knew that's what he needed in his life. And yeah. He was convicted by it. He knew, Hey, other people need to hear this and they'll be changed by it too. And he had like, burdened that mission and he so badly wanted everybody on board with it and I bet it just frustrated him when people weren't on board with the mission that he had to take the city and and all those things like like he brought up men need something to do they can't just be single and idle they're going to fall into this into sin and that analogy he gave how well you probably can say it better with the truck it drives straighter when it has Some weight in the back so he was talking about like get a wife have some kids get a house get a good job when you have responsibility you have purpose to your life and you're a leader a spiritual leader it gives you purpose to know you're leading and you have work to do like that's even good advice for unbelievers like you have what's my purpose in life
2: well Well, do you work
0: do you have anybody to care for in your life like no you're gonna feel like your life is worthless, and it kind of is. If you're not contributing in any way, you're just existing. Yeah, I would feel like that too.
1: Yeah, and that was another point that they kind of leaned into a little bit here. That this, that this message and this godly masculinity that they were trying to build around this culture was kind of presented like it was a man's responsibility to take like. Mm-hmm. It was a man's response like the spiritual well-being of his family was the man's responsibility. And it was Mm -hmm. the man's responsibility to guide the family and lead the family and do all these things and raise godly children and ensure the, you know, their house was in order basically. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of presented in a girl, one of the ladies they interview on there even kind of says how, you know, sometimes that can be oppressive or downplay the role of the women. In the family, and I don't see it that way. And I I know I've told you guys to listen to Jason Whitlock in the past, and I still highly encourage it. <laughs> but this is it made me think of something Jason Whitlock talks about a lot. And you know, 70% of African American children are born to single mothers. So there's no men in the household. And we see black on black crime and stuff is exploding in the country. And you're like, there's no man in the house. There's no man to guide and lead a family, and this is a point that Jason Whitlock uh, expounds on way smarter than I can. But this idea that when you remove a man from the house or you have a home that's led by women, that's not the way God intended it. It's not to say women can't do it or that they can't. Right. But it's not God's way of building a family. You know, Christ is the head of the church, man's the head of the household, and that's sort of the way it's supposed to be structured. Mm-hmm. And when you break that chain then it invites problems and we see that in mm-hmm. parts of our culture now it's not necessarily religious in nature but you can still see that these godly principles work in and out of the church yep so i just thought that was fascinating when they were talking about this it made me think back to stuff jason whitlock had talked about i'm like maybe that's why there's so many problems in minority cultures where or really just any culture where you have a lack of that nuclear family mm-hmm. dynamic with a man and a woman Um, in right alignment sort of thing as a family, I thought Mm -hmm. that was...
0: Women submitting to their husbands, and the world has painted a very negative uh, meaning of it. Tell you it means one thing, and they just hear oppression, but like I was just telling him, when um, when I see him praying and talking about wanting to serve God, it actually compels me to want to serve and love him in like practical ways, or just telling him my appreciation of him, and like it really compels you to want to submit and to want to serve when you see like there is blessing in that that design when the head of the household is living for God and loving his wife like Christ loved the church, like it's perfect. It really is like, and that's a type and shadow of the of us and jesus you know jesus you know he died for us and when we realize all the work that he did to provide salvation we are compelled to serve him with joy like and when i realize all that spencer does for me and the kids like sometimes i'm blind to it and then and on other times i i see it clearly and i'm compelled to serve and love him like, and it's not grudgingly and complaining. I'm like happy. I'm happy to do it. Just like I'm happy to live for Jesus, realizing all all that he's done for me, the burden, my my sin burden all on him.
1: Yeah. And yeah. that was, so. I mean, I f- <laughs> all these episodes are so deep and there's so much good content in them. Uh, if you look at it the right way, <laughs> we yeah. think. And yep. they made this point that was kind of about like, they placed this undue burden on men and how, you know, it drove them to where like they had to provide more and do more. And it was just this heavy burden that they placed on men hmm. is yeah. how they kind of presented it. And man, I don't see it that way. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like if you love your family, whether you're a man, woman, brother, sister, mom, like there should be no end that, or to like there should be no end to the lengths that you're willing to go to serve people and make their lives better and do more for them. So this idea mm-hmm. that a man is the head of a household, you should be willing to take on more responsibility, like to whatever degree that is, right? Like Christ was willing to go to the cross and die and wash the feet of his like everything that he did was about like I'm willing to bear
0: he washed, all the burden. You brought up he washed Judas's feet.
1: Yeah, he before, watched Judas's Knowing feet. he
0: was going to sell him out.
1: So I feel like if you're a man and, and head of a household, like you shouldn't be complaining about, not to say that you shouldn't ask for help and those sorts of things, but mm-hmm. you shouldn't, there should be no burden that you're not willing to bear
0: it's a balance. for your and, family. And the wife is the helpmate. So if he needs help, it's my job to step in. We're a team.
1: So, it was really good there. I just want to tie in the last point because it wasn't all about this conference. They did get into some of the the spiritual identity that Mars Hill had in this early days, and they kind of make reference to these um Tim Smith as a who's a guy that's gets interviewed a lot in this podcast series, mm-hmm. and he talks about this sort of spontaneous baptism that they had at Mars Hill. You know, it was an idea I think that Mark had, and he just decided. Hey, instead of doing baptisms the way that we normally do, let's just open it up throughout the service. And it turns into this like huge outpouring of people being baptized. And it just sort of gave this or painted this picture of what early life at Mars Hill was that was so like life-changing for these people and why they bought in so much where it just mm-hmm. seemed to be very spirit led. And, you know, cause they do this baptism and it's just, Mm-hmm. People are just pouring out, and they said that that wound up being a regular thing at Mars Hill that they would just kind of have these spontaneous baptisms. And
0: I want to know what the sermon exactly was. I know you preached the gospel at you know good sermon, but what I just want to hear that sermon and the gospel presentation that got all those people coming forward. You know, I wonder yeah. if we could find it. I mean, if we find it, we'll link it. We'll see. <laughs>
1: or they may have linked it in Christianity Today. So maybe they did. Yeah. This episode again, like they all have been. Very, very good. Just like with most of these episodes, we feel like they don't always paint the picture in the right way. And we want to make sure that you don't lose sight of the message Mm -hmm. that Mark Driscoll was delivering because of the messenger. And while he might've been flawed and did a lot of things wrong, it doesn't mean that the message he preached was wrong because I feel like, or I feel like his message is more relevant today Mm -hmm. in the world we live in and more necessary today than it probably even was in the early 2000s cuz yeah we haven't corrected those wrongs we've gotten worse you know porn culture is worse now the lgbtq oh, culture yeah. has only grown i mean we've become a much more antichrist nation yeah, we than are. we ever were in the early 2000s so yeah don't lose sight of the message because of the messenger is my big takeaway so do you have any last words, honey, as we get ready to close this out?
0: No, I think that was good. I hope said something similar. <laughs> yeah,
1: listen to this. This was my favorite episode so far, episode four. And we will be out with our review of episode six on Monday. Again, you can go back and find our episode five review. That was the first one we did. So we're going <laughs> to jump over that, get episode six on Monday. And I think episode seven will be out Tuesday. So we'll have episode seven Wednesday and then be back into a normal rhythm. Mm -hmm. God willing after that. So (laughs) that's all we got for you guys today. Love to hear from you in the comments. God bless. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition.